Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, everyone. This is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys. And on this week's podcast, we have something a little different for you. An actual interview. DJ Baker, player development coach from the Detroit Pistons, came on to talk about, well, player development. I learned a lot about the ins and outs of the work the players and coaches do during the summer from this interview, and uh, I hope you do too. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Leave comments on the discussion post in Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation we want to have uh, surrounding the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Uh, well, uh, thanks for thanks for coming on, DJ Baker. I really appreciate it. Player development coach for the Detroit Pistons. So, how how'd you get into player development? Uh, you know, I actually got my start. I was very fortunate. I grew up uh, right outside of Chicago, and um, there's a really uh, popular training facility uh, by a great trainer, Tim Grover. Uh, he had his own gym on the west side of Chicago uh, that a lot of high-level NBA players and college players and, um, you know, overseas players would train at in the summertime. And so when I was in college, uh, I had the opportunity to do an internship with him uh, for a summer, just helping with workouts. And, um, you know, that was 10 years ago when I was 21. And, uh, yeah, so, so I ended up working for him for three summers. And that was really that was my really it was my introduction into working with professional athletes you know professional athletes and then um but that laid the foundation for what I was able to do now so I was very fortunate um that my introduction into basketball well, I didn't just start as a you know video guy or whatever like my introduction into basketball was player development so I uh, was very fortunate to work for him uh for a number of years uh, that's kind of where it all started. And then, uh, I ended up being able to work in, um, uh, one of the guys that hired me at his gym and working in Dallas for the Mavericks and gave me a player development position there. And then, um, from Dallas, I went to Toronto and I did video on player development and we had a really young, uh, really young core of guys in Toronto. Uh, Fred Van Fleet and Pascal Siakam, Norm Powell, uh, DeLon Wright. We just had a really 
Alfonso McKinney, a really good young group of core guys where it was just such a great player development opportunity there. So I was doing video, and then we helped on the court a lot, had our guys. Um, and then obviously uh, when Coach Casey came here, um, you know, I was able to – I was fortunate enough to make the move and come with him. Uh, but in terms of my introduction to player development and how it all started, that was actually my first job in basketball was was at a very high-level training facility uh, working for one of the top trainers of all time, Tim Grover, and, uh, you know, learning learning from, from him and his staff. So it was, I kind of I got into it right away as soon as I started into, into working in basketball. Yeah, Grover was like infamously Michael Jordan's trainer, right? Yeah, yeah, he was with them for I think like 15 or 17 years or so, um, and I uh, was with them for his whole career. And then he was with Kobe for a long time and Dwayne Wade, and um, we had a lot of other guys at the gym: uh, Tracy McGrady, Gilbert Arenas, uh, Juwan Howard, a lot of older Chicago guys as well. Um, but it was a uh, it was a, in the summertime there, the summertime runs, the five-on-five five runs. Uh, they were, um, you know, we we had a high we had a high-level uh, list of players that trained with us, and um, uh, yeah, he's he was great. He was unbelievable to work for. That's kind of where I learned yeah. everything from, you know, my work, you know, the work ethic you need to have, um, the preparation communication with the players like it all kind of started there so I was I was very fortunate that that's where I got my start how important are those summertime runs to a guy's development to a guy's to a guy's uh progression uh you know during the off season yeah I I think in the summertime you you each guy you know has you got to have a plan of okay where you got to have like you know an honest self-assessment of where I'm currently at and what do I need to improve, you know, what do I need to improve upon to whatever, make a team or start or get more playing time or become an all-star or an all-NBA guy. You know, every single guy, no matter how talented he is, how young, how old, they all kind of, you know, as a coach, you kind of have, have to have a vision with them of, okay, this is where you are today and this is where we're trying to get you to go. And so – you got to be able to drill it so they can teach it and they can, or so we can teach it and they can get the reps on it. But then once you've taught it and you, you know, you show them the, the technique or the fundamental of, you know, how to execute on the skill. Well, now they have to be able to do it in the game. They have to be in, in so summertime runs. It's that's, that was a huge part, you know, teaching emphasis at, at Grover's gym was, hey, like Dwayne Wade would work on, maybe he'd work on his post-up game or he'd work on this or that. Okay, when we play five-on-five five in the afternoon, okay, you see him in the post working on these different moves. So that's, that's how I learned it, and that's what I saw a lot of great players do. And um, yeah, I, I think being able to play five-on-five five in the summertime and really work on your craft in a live setting with a real player guarding you, not just a coach, is uh, – you know, that's how you're going to get the carryover from training the habit and then, okay, now the habit becomes second nature. So I think it's uh, it's critical for the guys to play five-on-five five in the summertime, I think. When in the off season do you sit down with the rest of the coaching staff and make those individual plans 
for each guys, or, or is that a conversation that kind of happens throughout the entirety of the year and, and towards the end of the summer? Like, Hey, this is, this is what we've talked about so far this year. How, how does that, how does that go? I, I think anytime you're kind of like constantly assessing what, the, where the player's at and measuring his improvement and growth and what he needs to do game by game. So I think the film study that you have, like, like each game is a test, you know, where, where are you at as a team? And then obviously you're talking about the individual, where's the individual at offensively and defensively, you know, what, you know, where is he struggling at? Okay. Is he not making the right reads in the pick and roll? Is he, you know, is he not down in a stance ready to shoot on the catch, whatever it might be. So you're watching the player every single game and then you're watching the film with that individual and talking about, Hey, these are the two or three things that I see that we really need to clean up. And then you work on them in practice. You watch it on film. Maybe you walk through it with the player, depending on what, what it is. And so throughout the whole entire season, that that's like a, just a back and forth dialogue that's, you know, happening on, on just about a day to day basis. So by the time you get to the end of the season and it's the summertime, you know, there's already been a dialogue of, hey, hey, this is where you're currently at. This is what we need to improve upon. And then the summertime, obviously, the off season. you know, you, you know, depending on how far you go, you might have, you know, June, July, August, uh, and then September. So you really, you know, maybe you have three or four months of training where you have to have a very detailed plan going into that summer of what exactly – you're trying to accomplish and when you come back for the next season what areas of growth you need to show and so it, again it's it's a constant dialogue throughout the season that you're having with the player and then you know after the season ends you're trying to you know and again the player needs to take ownership of his own development as well it's not just a coach saying hey do this do this do this a lot of times we we you know we watch film with them we talk about what we try to do offensively and defensively, where he currently fits in, and how to create a, a uh, you know a bigger role, and talk with him about it, watch the film with him, get feedback on what he thinks, and then come up with the game plan. So you know, guys, after the season, maybe they take two weeks off. Obviously, older guys may you know they take more time off, which is fine. But between taking that time off and then when basketball workouts resume for that individual you better have a plan in place uh, to start working on from day one. No, yeah, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, the off season is the off season for, for the coaching staff as well as the guys. I'm sure, you know, you take a little bit of time as well to, to be apart from the sport uh, for a couple of weeks. But then, you know, you're making those plans and you're also ready to jump back in the gym when the guys, when they're ready. Exactly, exactly. It's, uh, you know, summers keep, you know, they're, they seem like they keep getting – you know, you know, coaches keep getting more and more involved, and I say it in a good way. Like guys want to train, guys want to work on their game. Obviously, of the Vegas Summer League, and you know, there, there's a, you know, you have Coach Gerg's camp. You know, so there's there's a lot of different events throughout the summertime uh, where guys can work on their game. And uh, so yeah, you get a little bit of time, but then um, if you're in player development, like that's a massive time of the year because in the season you're working with guys and you're helping them improve, but you know, you have games every other day. And so you're really not doing a, you know, you're not taxing the guy on a day off 
you know, doing a ton, you know, you're not working a guy out for an hour and a half on an off day, especially if he's playing 30 minutes the night before and the next day he's playing 30 minutes. So you are working with them throughout the season, but in the summertime, that's when it's like there are no games. You know, you're not preparing for a game. So that's when you're really maximizing the time to work the guy out. So you you got to have a plan in place. There has to be organizational alignment in terms of where you're, you, where what's the direction that you're heading with the player. There has to be a sense of ownership from the player and buy-in on his end. And then it's about, ex, you know, you know, working extremely hard and executing the game plan. So I'm, I'm sure this varies guy by guy, but but generally, is it better for a player to be, you know, on the pro, on the professional team? practicing, getting hands-on work with the coaching staff he's going to be working with uh, at the NBA level, or is it better for him to get more experience and an actual playing time in the G League, get some, you know, game speed reps, but uh, at the same time, not necessarily under the uh, the exact coaching staff he's going to be playing under at an NBA level? Yeah, I think, so So you're basically asking, is it is it better to have him in our gym, even if he's a low-minute guy or he might not be playing? You're saying, is it better to have him here physically with us in Detroit or, you know, or any NBA team or let him get live game reps in the G league. Correct. This is what you're asking. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah so, yeah. So in a perfect world and how it should be. And as you're seeing the, the trend for the G league with all these single affiliations, I think the teams that are running it right, that the G league is an extension of the player development department right? You know, they're not running different offense, different defense, different terminology. You know, there has to, they have to work in sync with the NBA team because if we're saying, hey, this player needs to work on his pick and rolls, he needs to work on, um, you know, guarding wing defenders and he needs, uh, you know, whatever, whatever else it might be. And if he goes down there and they're playing them at the four and you're like hey this guy needs to play at the three well then those reps aren't really going to transfer you know so so there there has to be a tremendous amount of synergy between the two clubs and communication and um and and if it's done right obviously in the g league you want to win you want to create a culture of winning and competing at a high level anytime you play games but at the end of the day it's ultimately uh under the umbrella of the player development department, I think most organizations would say, because they're going down there, a low minute guy or a young guy is going down there to get game reps at the things he's going to see at the NBA level. So it transfers. If it's not going to transfer, then the reps are meaningless. Right. So uh, I think, um, I think if you can utilize the G league, obviously coach Casey is a big fan of it. We used it well in Toronto. Uh, our G League staff here, or our, our G League team here, is moving in uh, two seasons, and uh, I've seen it work well. And, and um, I work for a coach that truly believes in it. And um, uh, you know, I, I think that's if you want to really maximize the opportunity to send a guy down there, that's how I, you know, probably best see how it should be used. What uh, what in, in your experience is the most difficult thing for most young guys to grasp about the NBA game? So, that's a you know that's a good question because they they all come in 
with strengths and weaknesses, right? They all got drafted for a reason. They all made mm-hmm. the team for a reason, right? Um, you know, maybe one guy's a defensive guy. You know, he's a def- defensive stopper, but, you know, he can't really handle the ball. Or another guy's a shooter, but he's a poor defender. So everybody has their list of strengths and weaknesses, why they are on the team, and then what's holding them back from, you know, playing more minutes or getting playing time or starting or whatever it might be. I would say just the speed of the game and the the speed and physicality of the game um, is, you know, you can, in college, right, you might be the strongest guy, um, you know, on your team, you know, so you can go downhill and finish at the rim and bump guys off you and it's no problem. Well, now you go downhill and you have an Andre Drummond or a DeAndre Jordan or any of those big seven-footers that are extremely athletic as well, a Joel Embiid, okay, that's a different story. You know, so just the the size of the players and their skill level. How many guys in the NBA right now, they're 6'8", 6'9", 6'10", who can handle the ball and who can shoot it, uh, who can stretch the floor? It's just, it's just a different is just a different pace that the NBA plays with, a different speed, obviously a shorter shot clock, shorter time uh, to get over, uh, over in half court, and just with the strong emphasis of playing at open offenses and playing with pace, um, you know, I, it's just, it's guys got to get used to it. I mean, they're grown men in the league. These are 18-year-olds to 18 to 21, 22-year-olds coming in and, okay, you step into practice and you have to go against a Blake Griffin or an Andre Drummond. I mean, that's that's different than what you just saw last year in college. So um, getting used to that speed and that pace of the game and the physicality and the size of players, is uh, you have to be very, very disciplined in your fundamentals um, to have an impact in the game, especially when you're a young player. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And that's always the thing you hear, right, is is that it's the speed of the game. But I can see how it would be very difficult for uh, somebody to, to get used to something they've never experienced before. But but speaking exactly, of 18-year-olds, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask you about, uh, about Seku. Uh, is it more difficult to evaluate the development and progression of a guy like him because he's, because he's so young? Do you ever feel like, oh, i got to slow down, like he's, the only, he's only 18, I have to take our time and be patient with him? Or because he's young, is he picking things up more quickly? Is it because he, he doesn't have any uh, uh, bad habits to, to unlearn? And so that, that makes mm. the development kind of easier. Yeah, that's a good question. That's a really good question. I, I think, you know, for him specifically, like he didn't play college basketball in the U.S., right? He came from France. So mm-hmm. obviously there's a little bit of a, a language barrier. Um, and his age is, you know, he's I think he was the youngest guy in the draft. So – at that age, you know, like he didn't, um, you know, he, you know, I think he played professionally for the last three years, I believe it was. Um, so the one, the one advantage he has is playing at a high level um, against like grown men as well, you know, so he wasn't just playing with 18 year olds. So I, I think that's an advantage that he had, but with that being said, like he's 18, he's a kid. You know, he's and I, I'm not saying that in a negative way, or, or he, you know, that he's not ready to have an impact or whatever it might be, but you really the 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 fun part about working with a guy 
with his level of talent at a young age is if he has the proper work ethic and is coachable, you probably feel like you can shape and mold him to become whoever you want to become exactly to your point because he's so raw. He's not a 24-year-old guy that's been out, you know, that went to college for five years and now he's coming out and he's a little bit older and more, you know, he's young. So, you know, you can, you, we really get on the fundamentals of the game with him. Um, just the, the very basics of his shooting and ball handling and passing, talking about stance. So, yeah, I think when a guy's that young, uh, you really, it's, it's, it's unique in the NBA because I feel like you can shape and mold him. And so it's easy from the standpoint that he's extremely coachable and you're starting like he's, you know, like you really can mold him into the player you want, you know, we hope he can become. Uh, but then at the same time, you have to understand, like, he hasn't been around the game for a long time. So some things that you might be able to say to a, you know, a guy that went to college for four years, you know, a lot of this might be new to him. And then obviously just the language barrier as well, making sure he thoroughly understands uh, what you're saying. And he understands English pretty good and speaks it pretty good for sure. But there's still the words and terminology that obviously we use that he's not familiar with, right? So um, uh, it's it's a little give and take, but um, it's definitely it's definitely an exciting opportunity. Yeah. So what what is the, what is the uh, what is the plan to mold him into? I guess is the next logical question. Like what what kind of player do you and the rest of the coaching staff envision Sekou becoming in you know four or five years? Yeah, and uh, you know I, I think the first thing you look at when you see him is his size, his length, and his athleticism. Right. So he's He's truly like 6'9", and he's got a good wingspan, and he has great athleticism. And so ideally with a guy at that size, you know, if a guy like that can develop the ability to handle the ball and to shoot the three, then, you know, and obviously with that length and that with that wingspan, you hope he can become a great defender. So... uh Again, like when I say we're working on the fundamentals of the game and talking basic terminology, it's a guy with that length and athleticism, can he master the fundamentals? Can he become a great ball handler? Can he make reads when he drives to make the kickout pass or make the finish? Uh, can he develop a consistent three-point shot where guys have to close out to him and now he can really utilize his speed and athleticism to get downhill because the defenders aggressively, um, you know, closing out to him on the perimeter. So uh, really for a guy like that with, you know, that much natural talent, you really want to become sound and disciplined at the fundamentals. Um, and then he can really, that's how you can really utilize uh, the, the, you know, the natural talent that he has. And then defensively, Understanding, you know, again, you know, the speed and the strength in which players have in the NBA, him understanding the importance of using his length, being down in a stance to maximize his athleticism and speed. Um, So it's really the basic technique and fundamentals of the game offensively and defensively. 
so he can really use his athleticism and length and speed. That makes a lot of sense. How, how do you uh, how do you work with players to make their their shot release uh, as efficient and compact as possible? Now I've read some stuff this summer about that being a goal of Luke Kennard. Uh, I read uh, James uh, Edwards' athletic piece where you talked about you were uh, tweaking Seku's shot a little bit while you were over in France for the summer. How do you get guys to uh, to do things differently than they've done their entire lives? I th- again, I think if you go back to the beginning of creating a plan with them, so they feel some sense, you know, they have to feel, they have to have, you have to create a sense of buy-in and ownership with them, right? So whether it's the first things first, before you can even work with the guy on any part of his game, his shot or anything else, he has to understand why you're doing it, how you're going to improve it, and what that's going to result into. If you can do those things, okay, and clearly lay it out for him, then you'll probably get the buy-in, and then he's going to take a sense of ownership in his development in that area. And so um, I, I think that's step number one. Uh, even when, like, guy, again, you go to a guy's strengths and weaknesses, and like a Luke Kennard, he's already a great shooter, right? Well, okay, you watch him throughout the season, how do we maximize one of his greatest strengths? And he's got a, he's very talented as well. Let's say one of his greatest strengths is shooting the three. Okay, how do we maximize that skill set? Well, hey, if you're in this position, this position, this position, and you weren't able to get your shot off or it was heavily contested, okay, how do we get you cleaner looks from three? Because you're a great three-point shooter, so how do we maximize that? And... Um, I think that's kind of like your foundation and your starting ground of what, what you're trying to achieve when you're going into something as specific of, hey, let's get this guy a quicker release. Like, that's your starting ground, I think. Okay. Do do players ever bring you stuff that they want to work on? They're like, hey, like, uh, uh, you know, I know you've been talking with the coaching staff and they want me to work on my ball handling, but, like, I I really feel like I need to work on my shot, just, like, as an example. Do you, what what's the ten? Is there any ever any like tension like on that front? No, you know I think we I think because we try to make it as collaborative as possible, right? If I'm just gonna walk in day one and say, hey, you're doing this, you're doing this, you do this wrong, I need you to do this, I don't like how you do this, then for sure you're gonna create, you know, an environment of tension and and you know you want to create an environment of learning and development and uh, an excitement of talking and discussing the game, right? And so um, I think it's laying that foundation of the relationship with the player and the communication with them and the clarity about where you're trying to go as a player. So, you know, everyone's guy might want to work on something, but I think players understand – players will work on it if it can help them improve as a player and if it leads to more playing time and it leads to them having an impact on winning. That's the, that's the end goal, right? So if, if you talk about any skill set, okay, if you talk to a player, what do you need to do to have an impact on winning within our team, within our system, within your role? So you've got to identify that first. And you've got to have the communication and the relationship piece with the player, and then they're pretty much going to get on board. So if I'm saying, hey, 
we got to really work on a quicker release for you from your three. And he's like, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I really want to work on my one dribble pull up. Well, you know, our system, you know, our style of play, you understand what coach is saying he needs you to do. So let's work on it. You got to be as direct and honest as possible. And like I said, there's a, you have to have like an honest self-assessment of where you currently are at and what you need to do to, you know, again, get the playing time you might want to have or be in the role you you want to be in. Uh, but ultimately, it's having an impact on winning. So if a guy wants to work on something that's not going to transfer, kind of what you asked about with the G League, if you're going down there and you're getting reps at things that aren't transferring into the game, you're wasting your time. Same thing with the workout with a player. If you want to work on a X, Y, and like ISO, hey, I want to work on my ISO step back fadeaway three. Well, first of all, you're not going to get those. And if you're shooting those shots in the game, you're not playing the way we want you to play. And so I think players have a pretty good sense of what they need to do to get playing time and have an impact on winning. So, again, I think it starts with the communication, the honesty, creating a sense of ownership with the player, um, you know, and, and then and then from there, I think guys get on board with what, you know, you're trying to work on because you're trying to help them. At the end of the day, my number one interest, if you're in player development, your number one interest is to help that player develop to make the team, to get in the rotation, to be a starter, whatever it might be, that's your job as a player development coach. Or if, you know, if you're in the realm of player development. And if you're not doing that, then you're wasting your time. And way more importantly, you're wasting the player's time. And I think they sense that and they understand that process. And, um, you, know, I, I, you know, from my experience, it's pretty, it's pretty self-explanatory. You know, like it, it really goes that smooth for a strong majority of players that you, you talk to and work with. All right, DJ, you've been extremely generous with your time. Thank you so much. I want to ask you one last thing. Uh, you've worked with yep. these guys all summer. Uh, which guys should Pistons fans be paying uh, particular attention to uh, this season? You know, that's a, that's a great question. You know, it's funny. I wish I – you know, like, the thing that I walked away with in the summer, you know, at the end of the summer you walk away and you kind of – you know, you know, you might get a week off before fall workouts start uh, here, you know, and you kind of evaluate how do you think things went. And you're doing that on a weekly basis anyway. And there's a lot of communication uh, with the coach and just organizationally about how things are going. So you're you're constantly just assessing how things are going on a week-by-week basis. And then at the end of the summer, you kind of assess, okay, how did we do? What did we accomplish? Um and at the end of this summer, my takeaway was every single guy that we worked with was dedicated this summer to improving their game. They sacrificed, you know, whatever, you know, I don't know, you know, vacations or getting away time or whatever it might be to really work on their game from uh, workouts in Detroit to summer league to Coach Gerg's camp to a number of guys were in Los Angeles working out, playing five-on-five out there. So, uh, truthfully, we have an incredibly driven and hardworking group of young guys. And hopefully you're going to see 
uh, a level of improvement from, you know, all of them, from Luke, you know, to Bruce, to Svee, to Kyrie, to Sekou, to the two ways. Some of the G League guys spent time with us. Um, Son, you know, the, w- that's one thing that you kind of like, you love doing player development for this organization because the players are incredibly hungry to improve. They're incredibly coachable and they have a great work ethic. So it's hard to single out one guy, but, you know, you kind of walk away from the summer saying, hey, these guys, they, they, they got it in. They put the work in and that's what makes you exciting about, you know, that will make, that's what makes you excited about the upcoming season. So um, it was a, uh, it, it was a, you know, you're proud. You're, from a coaching standpoint, you're proud of each guy. They all have room to improve, uh, to continue to work and continue to stay hungry. But uh, when you're just assessing the summertime, there's definitely, um, you know, you, you feel like they all improved and accomplished what they were so, supposed to accomplish. So it's a, it's a great group of guys that we've been given here. I want to thank DJ Baker again for his time and being so generous with his time and answering all of my questions uh you as always you can listen to the podcast on spotify on apple podcasts on stitcher on uh, any of the other wonderful podcast apps on the in the google play store uh this is not going to uh, supplant our normal episode we will have another episode coming out for you guys a recording sunday and and uh, coming out monday i promise but uh this is this is an opportunity that uh, you know, we were given. And so we, I wanted to take advantage of it definitely. And I hope you guys, uh, learned something a little bit uh, from this interview. Um, this has been the Detroit bad boys podcast and, uh, we'll, we'll see you on Monday. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com with over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day. Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.